Hey, everybody. Hey, Welcome my... to Two Magicians, One Mic, slash The Setup, slash Four Unemployed Magicians. My name is Nick Paul. <laughs> I'm Simon Carnell. I'm John McCardo. we got Chris Grayson. So there. Really, the, uh, the beta of the group, as I elected to say my name last. It's, uh, it's three, <laughs> three magicians, one comedian, four mics today. I was going to say four magicians set up a crossover. That was my... Mm. I like that. You were going to say... Better. You're going to say hosted by John, a crossover. John, ooh, that's good. I'm not really a magician or unemployed because <laughs> as an actor, I'm kind of always unemployed. I mean, so I guess I am, but right. You know, this is like the, this is his version of like, um, of like, I was, uh, what is it? I was, what is the Batman line? I was born in the darkness. You're just, oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. You, th- you think you know darkness? I was born in darkness. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, uh, Chris Grace is on the hit NBC series Superstore, and the other three of us are just magicians. So, yeah. You've got some <laughs> real cred. So, so Chris, uh, you're, you're a comedian slash actor. What, what would you identify as primarily or secondarily? How do you, what's your deal? For those who don't know you, of our regulations. Um, I think I'd uh, identify her as a comedian uh, because that kind of covers like acting and writing mm. and live performance and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, magic is completely just a hobby for me. I don't have any aspirations as a career in any way to ever get paid for it. So I find I'm able to enjoy magic more than a lot of my magician friends. Oh yeah. that That is not surprising at all. <laughs> get too close to it and it destroys itself for you. Uh, yeah, but I could, I did I think I identify as comedian first. I do a lot of improv, um, and uh, uh, and I do a, a fair amount of writing that's comedy related. In fact, and what way, is sorry, yeah, John? Go. Ahead. I was gonna say the way I met Chris was because um, I saw him at the Magic Castle, and I actually just recognized him, not from any. Uh, I believe you had been on Superstore at that point, not as many, yeah. uh, not very many episodes yet, but um, I just recognized him from seeing him uh, in uh, some UCB. Uh, improv teams um i'd seen him in magic to do uh i think twice and so i saw and then i saw him at the castle and i just went i'm almost positive that's that guy and i shame shamelessly like google the name of the group just to make sure i knew his name before i said hi to him i said are you chris grace and he said yes i've seen john we've only john we've only hung out a couple times in public but i've seen you do that like two or three times <laughs> you'll go up to people go hey you're you're this person like somebody really obs- no i'm not saying you're obscure chris oh that but i'm funny. saying I but i've seen that. you do it to some really obscure people that only like specific small groups would know I like recognize- i'm like that too where i would know like very specific right. types of people yeah we were at who, who was the other one jeff snyder uh, yeah. who hosted who hosted like a um a, a people like pundits who talk about oscar um uh predictions <laughs> Uh, and he was very wrong. He said Parasite would not win Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Original Screenplay, and Best uh, uh, Foreign Thing. And he bet forty bucks on it, Best Foreign Film, and he bet forty bucks on it. And on TV, on this show, he had to give up the forty bucks. And anyone who knows me knows how important to me that was that that happened. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a Dynasty typewriter, and, and I didn't say anything. But inside, I was like, "You bitch." <laughs> yeah, uh, John cares more about Asian culture than I do. <laughs> Uh, John Again, can like, name like all the Korean magicians just by face. Yes, I it's can. like magic, Chris. You're too close to Asian culture. It's like us <laughs> and magic. You just can't appreciate mm-hmm. it anymore. Yeah. Um, I'm constantly obsessed with how to monetize Asian culture. Right. It's not how's working. That go- how's the yeah. uh, how's that going? <laughs> 
Uh, too many people stealing my bits. Well, you know who's doing that wonderfully <laughs> right now is uh, the Aquafina on the show, Nora from Queens. If you haven't watched oh. it, I highly recommend it. It's you know, they just last- snuck in Chinese, like how communism, took, like Mao Zedong and all that, took over oh. in the '60s. They snuck it into an episode beautifully. I think it was last oh. week's, but it's very, her. very funny and very clever. But yeah, it's yeah. it's good work. Yeah, the first experience I really have with that show is actually last night I saw some like Facebook ads for it. I was just watching it and I think Aquafina is great. Uh, and I was watching these ads. I was like, this is fucking hilarious. I got to check yeah. the show out. So how are you guys holding up? I, all three of you don't have day jobs. Like your day job yeah. is getting magic, magic gigs. Right. We, we temporarily don't have careers. Well, Simon diversifies. Simon does. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm in the I'm in the active process of diversifying hard, but that, I was lucky. That's been going on. I've got got the whole Magic Puzzle Company project going on in the background. That's been going for about eight nine months anyway. Right. Uh, and so I, it, the timing for me was again weirdly good. It just as all this hit, I had scheduled the next month blocked out to work on the our first big release anyway to get it over the line to manufacturing. So that's challenging right now, but still forging ahead. Mm. So even though I'm terrified for the world and for everyone else. And I'm still worried because now kind of my backup of cruise gigs and stuff is just gone. For the yeah. Future. Well, yeah, but, I'm in the same spot too, where I was kind of like trying to fade away from cruises a little bit. And now my last one that I had in May was just canceled yesterday. So um, yeah, it's, it's without even realizing that has faded away and I'm sure it'll come back again in the future a little bit, but um, it, it is kind of a, the universe just propelling you in a spot of, well, okay, you didn't want to do this anymore. You don't get to do it anymore. Um, So right now I'm editing Rob Zabrecki's web series uh, called The Other Side. And I think I'm going to try to get more into post-production stuff. That's what I minored it in college. And I think I'm going to kind of navigate to doing more just like magic gigs you know once they come back that are fun like the castle and you know you know magic theaters hopefully they're still in existence um or just more fun shows and trying to slowly move away from full-time magic but we'll we'll see i mean it's easier said than done because uh um, right. i don't i am not established at all in the editing world here but um you know it's something i enjoy doing well, Nick, I also, definitely have some things I need edited, so I would be I would be happy to to pay you for. You know, I'm running a deal right now. If anybody wants to reach out, hundred dollars <laughs> a minute. Uh, I edited John Armstrong's teaser and trailer. I've edited well mine. Um, I'm going to put up a whole website uh, that just shows of my work. I'm sorry to make this a shameless promotion, but <laughs> you asked what we're doing, and this is literally what I'm focusing on right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just like, okay, how do I? pivot from this because i i really didn't want to be doing ships as much like being away from home was uh very mentally taxing on me and some guys thrive in it and for me it was really tough so i'm just going to try to do a few here and there you know when they're offered um but uh, yeah try to pivot to something else because it's i've been thinking a lot about how magicians are you mentioned the movie parasite we are parasites to um, big corporations and companies that have an excess of money. We are reliant right. on them to have extra money to bring in entertainment. And now I would assume for the rest of this year, that's going to go away when we you know, kind of sink into a recession. Um, you'll see way less corporate parties this uh, December. I am assuming, I hope that's not the case, but looking right. at history. I, you have to I mean, I, I can't imagine. And, you know, it's not so much just, in my opinion, my, my fear isn't just that, uh, isn't just those corporate things that don't happen or already, yeah, I was you know, telling something the other day. It's, it's not just like I've lost gigs, but yeah, the, 
the clients I do have are already tightening their belts for the fall. Exactly. And, you know, for They're not going to oh, have yeah. that money anymore. Um, but also my big fear with magic, uh, with, with theater, just in general, um, uh, extending just beyond the, the, the niche of, of magic is that I don't know how the theater is going to re like kind of recalibrate themselves. Uh, for example, um, uh, I don't know if any of you would have known this, but magic live did cancel this year. Yeah. Um, they mm. didn't, they had not intended to cause they thought it was far enough out. And, and they sent an email the other day saying um, we were hope we, we still think this will be far enough out that, that the virus will have subsided to some degree at that point. However, there are so many moving pieces involved with the Orleans and we have to book that entire building that there's mm. so much already being pushed down that it's all of that. That's what, that's what's affected us. Yeah. Um, we can't continue to go on. So we just, we, we can't do this. We can't, and we can't postpone this a month later, two months later, three months later. Um, it's just impossible. Uh, so they they had to they just canceled it and have already scheduled their date uh, for the their following year. That's my fear is that you know for all of the shows and everything that's been canceled, like Hamilton, you know, says it's being postponed. But how are you going to bring back a, a, a six month run of Hamilton at the Pantages when you are when you still have a year of scheduled shows that are supposed to be at the Pantages? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're not that, that disruption it into. Uh, in the big in the bigger context of theater and in the, in the bigger scope leading just kind of trickling down to magic that's what worries me the most is just how do we even get back on track to yeah. something well it's a weird one because it will obviously it will eventually come back but the question is will that be in six months or in six years right right will it take sort of almost a generational shift is mm-hmm. this and there's just no really real way to know right now um also what kind of happened in 2008 was that a bunch of companies because I was doing a lot of uh, this is horrible, but like corporate long improv comedy consulting. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I've, I've been a part of that. Yeah, again, Ugh. we know Chris, you were born in darkness. Ugh, it's the worst. <laughs> but what happened is the those all those budgets got cut, and then when the companies recovered, they never they never brought their budgets back up to what they were before. And yeah. it, and some of it was not even that they needed that like they were in such dire straits. I think a lot of it was just they're just like, wait, we got along for nine months without this. Like, why do we? Yeah, why do we? Yeah, need to allocate all that money back again. Yeah, I don't want to be grim about it. I do think it is going to come back, but it's going to be like you said, the budgets are going to be smaller. I mean, in the past couple of years, I've done some corporate events where I get there and go, oh wow, they they have overspent. You know, they had a huge mm-hmm. budget and weren't even thinking about this. So I think a lot of that's going to go away. Um, but you know, I mean, it always comes back. I mean, we got through to, I graduated at 2009 and the, the girl who was the valedictorian gave the darkest graduation <laughs> speech to, you know, a, a arena of, uh, art school graduates. And we're all just going, yeah, we paid $80,000 to learn how to act and edit things. Um, but you know, <laughs> what was her speech? It was basically just talking about how I'm going into the the real world with the highest unemployment rate, you know, in modern days. And it, it was – I don't remember it word for word, but I just remember the feeling it gave of – and I was doing a college recently and I was talking to this girl who booked me. It was like 21 and – I'm like, oh yeah, I graduated in 2009. She goes, oh, <laughs> you know, like to her, the recession of 2009, the the housing bubble is, you know, ancient lore and myth. But right. we are, mm-hmm. you know, we're that 10 year track of it. You know, it's it's just where we're at. It's going to come back and ups and downs, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, Nick, where did you go to college? Uh, Columbia College in Chicago. Oh yeah, uh, art school for open admissions <laughs> i know i know a lot of comedians that have gone there 
Um, uh, yeah, it was a good school. It, it's I think like any art school, I, I had so many great professors. What was so good about it is that um, most of my professors were working professionals, so they were part time, and then at night they would go work at the Chicago Shakespeare Company. Um, so they you, you got real world advice and experience. They weren't people that have been out of it. So that was probably the the biggest uh, positive thing about going to Columbia. But like any art school and maybe any school in general, you get what you put into it. Um, I met a lot of fifth and sixth year seniors and I saw that and went, oh, I'm not doing that. I am not continuing to pay for this. So, um, You guys have both done Hollywood Fringe, right? Correct, yeah. <laughs> we have. We're together okay, at one spe- time. Speaking of being born in darkness. <laughs> that's um, postponed right now, right? I would hope so. Um, it starts in June not- usually. Not canceled. I, I saw a thing saying it's postponed till October. Interesting. Okay. Um, because I, I'm pretty confident that Edinburgh Fringe is going to get canceled. Yeah. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, has, is that official? I mean, right. No, it sounds it's not like official. No. People are still giving them shit for like waffling on it. And, you know, they're still waffling because um, it's, I mean, that is a huge uh, orders of yeah. magnitude, much more money than Hollywood Fringe. Yeah. But, but I can't imagine, even if everything was recovered, that's, Edinburgh Fringe seems like a great vector to restart the virus. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. For the second wave. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, we're heading just rapidly into just one of the biggest economic downturns in the history of civilization. Mm-hmm. And like, that's not a fun time to like go to Edinburgh for the weekend to mm-hmm. see a lot of theater. That's not really the mood I think most punters are going to be in. Yeah. yeah. Right. I, I, I could actually see it being a fun thing to do if, if along with it didn't come Oh, here's the risk factor for getting the virus. <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Cruise ship industry is going to be interesting too because I mean, our our we Simon and I both have a really great agent, and um, he sent out an email of which is kind of like how they're handling things, and um, you know, he's expecting it to bounce back. He got into it during 9/11, but I guess my only critique of that is, you know, during 9/11, people were just afraid to fly. Now mm-hmm. there's yeah. this massive worry about just even getting on cruise ships so i hope that goes away um but i I feel like simon and i might be okay for a little bit because we do more like smaller luxury ships Mm. and those are less in the news and the people that can afford those i don't think are going to be hit as hard during this it's going to be more kind of like the carnival cruise line middle class america that um you know save up for a bunch of years and then go on a cruise and yeah, I think it's going to be those those ones like that and royal, um, you know, princess one are going to be hit a little bit harder. There will never be a shortage of affluent white people. <laughs> Every time I get on a people. ship, I literally think that go where are, <laughs> where do you people come from? They're all like carbon copies of the same person, and they're all nice, wonderful people. But it's it is fascinating going what you all like. There's enough people for this industry. Like princess has fourteen cruise ships. There's enough people for just that cruise line alone to constantly have cruises going, and that always baffles me. It was and and weird. I think it's growing. It was until this point. It was, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It was one of um, the fastest growing entertainment circuit industries. Disney has two new ships coming out. Yeah, it's they and and Royal Caribbean just you know unveiled the largest cruise ship uh, around, and like I said, Disney has more coming. I think Princess had some more coming, so I'm sure that's going to put a halt on a lot of those things. Yeah. I actually think cruise ships will bounce back because I think that demographic can also be a little bit the most stubborn about like. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and you're seeing it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, without making any like too broad generalizations, I think that is accurate. So, 
So, uh, John and Chris, you two have your podcast called The Setup, which yes. I believe is a reference to the overlap to overlap between magic and comedy. Which is the how setup, yeah, The Setup colon discussions of magic and comedy. Officially. I like it because both. <laughs> and the reason magic I say that is because I, setup. I I don't know that I say that because I don't know that you can find it on Apple Podcasts. Or sitting in the setup, <laughs> so I don't think we're popular enough. But then you have to put in the colon, and then it'll pop up. There is a well, look, that, hyphen that, between that's... set and up. That you can go it. back and change. I would I would recommend going back and changing that in your metadata. <laughs> Chris, Chris he, look here it is. They, they they get one shout out on the top five, and then now it's it's. it's <laughs> I no I uh, that is cocky, but that I say that no, because no, I used to have a colon in two magicians one mic, and I'm pretty sure I took it out for that reason. It was harder oh. for the algorithm to find it. It's a weird. There's been no time in my life where I've ever been more unsure over what proper grammar is than the word the setup. And I still don't know. And something I don't know why I've never just Googled it, but like I've gotten I've, I've been going back. I've, I've been uh, uh, waffling on it uh, all year since we had this podcast. We've had it for about four, 15, uh, 14 months. It's been a while. Well, it's interesting yeah. because when just then when we were talking in my head, it didn't have a hyphen. If I were to look for it, I would type the T-H-E space S-E-T-U-P. And like is what I would our, personally does do. Does our podcast have a hyphen in it? I think it does. <laughs> Uh, we're all, we're all learning things today. I I think the issue is that the the word setup is so generic that you get a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Um, What was what was John? What was the the title supposed to be again? That you oh that joke should be should be. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great title. My mom came up with that. There is no no hyphen. It's one word. I don't even know my own fucking (laughs) podcast. This is this is where we. Oh, the oh, you're talking about the word setup. Yeah, yeah. It's just one word. But um, I, I I also tend to write like stand up as one word without the hyphen. But I don't. Really oh, know. that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but so anyway, yeah, you two focus, connected. My mom came yeah, up with sorry. that, and yeah. it it uh, it was one of those things that was hilarious, and I think obviously the wrong title because it's one of those things. That after twenty episodes, we would have been like, "This is fucking stupid." I can't believe we committed our podcast name to this. Yeah. What, uh, what's, yeah one- what's the name of Taylor's show that we were like, "Oh, that's what we should have called our show." Jokers and Aces. Yes. Jokers and Aces. Oh, Taylor Hughes, uh, known bye serial bye. killer, uh, started a... <laughs> Nicest man in the world. You just got to say something negative about him. Just right up south. Well, it's, 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 I, it's how I justify the fact that he is so nice and so talented and so successful and has such a great family. Like, oh, he must be a serial killer. Yeah. So hashtag Taylor Hughes is a serial killer. <laughs> this is going to come back to bite someone at some point. I can just feel it. I don't <laughs> know who, but... I've Probably said it John. on my podcast for months. <laughs> I'm excited to see John in his 30s because I feel like it's going to be when I transitioned into my 30s and just suddenly was just less angry at people for being successful. <laughs> <laughs> I am How dare you, Taylor Hughes? I'm definitely getting off a vibe. No, this is all in good fun. I, I love Taylor. No, it's but, okay. Um, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm Taylor interested Hughes. in uh, seeing how – because I feel like John uh, – and I, maybe you guys have experienced this, but John kind of like lives with a group of people that are all like way older than him <laughs> in terms of like career or like your, your interest in magic and that kind of yeah, stuff. Same. Uh, I've always been a very um, like old soul. I've all, not, not like I always gravitated towards people older than me. I always felt more comfortable like at my parents' parties with like <laughs> their adult friends than I did like <laughs> at school. Yeah. I was the same way. Yeah. Friends, Chris, you would always, always like it took you uh, you did this for a long time you would always like know it when i made much more older references than myself yes um and i've just always done that because I, I i never grew up on like pop culture of my age i always grew up watching like 
Simpsons reruns and uh, stuff like that. Like, I, you know, <laughs> the fact that that is your go-to yeah, I know, for that's that's retro now. But like in the that's early two thousands, I'm watching like early nineties yeah. and stuff. So yeah. like when they're yeah. still making like Charles Bronson references. Yeah. Um, well, like actually, that. that the Simpsons actually is a way that a lot of a gateway for a lot of people to learn those older references. Oh, absolutely! Mm. That's the only reason I downloaded Disney Plus, and it was been a great investment. You know, <laughs> the only thing I'm worried about on Disney Plus is how much they've edited out like older Simpsons episodes and kind of. Um, oh, that aspect ratio thing, right? There's that. Well, I mean, just like um, censor. I wonder just how much has been kind of like secretly censored because they they often not a lot, not a lot. Okay, because I not I, I watch it on experience. I was watching it most of it on FX before Disney Plus acquired it all. So mm-hmm. there are many times when you know they make a reference to Mickey Mouse and he goes, "Ha, I'm the head of an evil corporation," and I wonder if that's still in there. <laughs> oh. Oh, that's, that's funny. Just stuff like I that. I need. That. I don't know what episode that is, but I I, I want to go find, go back, and I bet just somebody look has already done the work for you. Nick. <laughs> yeah. I, you know th- that's what the internet's for. Uh, is yeah. we're finding out right now. Um, but yeah, but I, I definitely I've always felt comfortable like around. Well, it was. It's always just odd to me because I mean I I was sort of like that. I would know things. I remember a teacher of mine was. I was like humming a Beatles song, and he was like, "How do you know that song?" But. <laughs> But some of your references are like if I was eight years old and talking about like Hoagie Carmichael and Duke Ellington. Or something. <laughs> well, it, it was weird because it was like I grew up. My parents only ever played classical music around the house. Like I, I you know, I just never listened to my stuff. I was just like, well, my parents were. I was watching like PBS and shit with them. Yeah. Um, like I, for, for example, I'm pretty sure this was last year. Chris, you were the one who told me who Billie Eilish was. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll check her out. There's something to that, though. There's something to – I've always gravitated gravitated towards older people and, I mean, not even older. It's tough because you say that and then people who are older than you take offense to it. And it's like, no, you're just a couple years older than me. That's just the mathematical Mm -hmm. truth. Right. But you gravitate towards people like that because you want to learn from them and you you see things in them that, you know – I was always the guy – I didn't drink until like senior year of college. You know, I was right. the one with a Pepsi in my hand when they were all getting wasted in my dorm just because I just didn't understand it. I couldn't relate. Yeah. I did, the idea of getting mm. hammered and passing out was not interesting. But then, Yeah, I was the same. I never did drugs or uh, drink yeah. in, in college. But now I make cocktails because they're sophisticated right. and yeah. I'm a pompous <laughs> jerk. But well, to talk about how old I am, when you guys were, when Chris, when you asked Nick and Simon what they were up to, uh, what I'm up to currently is I'm about to fa- find out who murdered Roger Ackroyd in the Agatha Christie book, <laughs> The Murder of Roger Ackroyd. He has it in his hands right now. It was oh ready to go. That's um, hilarious. That that's 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 my uh, boy. Man, I love a good Christie whodunit. Whew, she, that she knew, she knew how to write a goddamn book. Well, I'm I'm gonna watch a Snapchat live stream of FK Twigs. <laughs> And I knew some of those words. I, the only <laughs> word I knew was, of that was live stream. That's the only thing that I could relate I, to. There, I think there was definitely a, with with me too. It's also that as of over the last couple of years, as my to put it generously, career has been finding its legs. Um, it's also I think I also spend time with people who are a little bit older than me, who are just kind of further down the path than me, and I can kind of mm-hmm. like as there is sort of an envy there, and there is uh, not in a negative way, but just like oh, you know, like. Even Nick, when when I heard you talk to Ben last week, and we've talked about this before, you know, I, I knew that you were both sick of doing cruise ships and you hated it. I was still kind of like, well, I'll take your cruise ships and I'll do them. Oh, so totally, kind of yeah. like still looking to you as far oh, as yeah. like, well, you know, it, there there is I see value in 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 spending time with people who are a little bit further along than you are. I just kind of 
figuring out how that happened and that's that's one of the reasons that's what the main reason i moved to la i wanted to be pulled upwards yeah by the people around me I learned, right. I mean, Chris, you were asking me about Columbia. That was the biggest thing I took away living in Chicago, like being around Second City and, um, you know, IO type stuff is you see people, in this case, improvisers or, or comedy geniuses who are better than you. And you're like, oh, okay, that's where we need to go. I mean, right. you're, as much as I love being, you know, in the middle of nowhere in Michigan, you're not going to see the best talent there. You're going to see the best talent in places like Chicago or LA. And surrounding yourself with people that are better than you is, you know, that's all you can do to to become a better performer. Um, there's a book that I read that I um, I would bet a hundred dollars that Simon has read. Uh, it's called you What Should I Hop on Pop? Dr. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> great. Uh, it was called, so sad when they hopped on Pop. <laughs> uh, what What Should I Do with My Life by Poe Bronson? Have you read that book? Oh, no, I've not heard of this. Oh, okay. I'm, write that I'm down. listening. Well, first of all, I just lost a hundred dollars. <laughs> to yourself um to, to me yeah, to, to me myself. i i i quietly bet against you chris and one of the things uh it it he talks about career stuff and then he interviews people um how they found the thing that they ended up doing and one of the takeaways i had from that was that uh one of the best ways for you to pursue what you're interested in is to just surround yourself with other people that are interested in the same thing um mm. which i think is a good argument for moving to los angeles if you want to be an actor or I guess to Columbus, Ohio, if you want to sell magic. <laughs> burn. Yeah, that checks out. Burn. Yeah, burn to Columbus. No, I like, I, we, I went to Columbus for that Magi Fest. And I actually thought, Columbus no, yeah, they're all good people. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. Wow. The, so, yeah. So, John and Chris, getting back to the original thing, because Kevin get, um, so Nick, this is going up as a two mag, one mic episode. Is that how this is? I guess so, it'll go on up? both. It'll yeah, go, on, it'll go both. on both. I'll send nice. you guys the file. I'll edit it one way. You guys edit it your way. And we'll, we'll see <laughs> how, who comes Our out. We have a top. lot more funny sound effects. I was on Taylor Hughes' show last night, and Nick was adding a bunch of sound effects to that show. I was, yeah. Do you guys oh, have a lot of sound effects in your show? No. Okay. We do have a soundboard. Uh, no, we do. Anytime we have a guest on, we record in front of a live studio audience. Okay. That is something I've enjoyed about getting moving to L.A., in but sort of LA specifically but sort of this industry generally is that if you're decent at what you do care about it and aren't a dipshit you have everyone eventually ends up working with everyone everyone's all it's everyone's on everything because you're just trying to find good people who have it together and collaborate on stuff but um but Chris and John what are the obviously you've explored a lot of these overlaps between magic and comedy yeah where are you at are there any have your views changed over time as you've done the podcast together what's sort of the state of the art of your respective views on these overlaps i, I think we've actually funny. found we've highlighted some more of the differences sometimes yeah oh, yeah we, we're often you know so we're often talking about i would say i would say really our the, our findings boil <laughs> down to where we are day to day on what we call the dave tooney theory right go on <laughs> so the dave tooney so dave tooney uh, i believe it's t-h-e-u-n-e um, and I've only been told that's how you say, pronounce the name, uh, is, a, is an improviser. He kind of stumbled into us naming this, after, me naming it after him, I suppose. Um, but Robert Ramirez and I um, were, were seeing this uh, improv group at UCB Franklin uh, called Bangarang uh, that he had a friend in, um, and uh, Dave Tooney was in it, and he was always killing. He was always just getting these enormous laughs, and he was always making brilliant quick choices, and he was amazing. And so I had this, unfortunately, kind of pessimistic view of magic, and I still do in, in many regards. I said, 
the problem to me with magic is that you don't have to earn your skill in it. Um, you know, you take anybody off the street, you give them $2,000 and you send them into the magic apple and you, and you say, explain to them your situation. Uh, and then tell me that in two days, they won't be able to do a magic show. Right. And a they, color they, match. They, they come but, back and they're like, that store was closed. All the businesses are closed. <laughs> um, I'll say, okay, uh, go, let's go to a movie. Then um, they're suddenly uh, feeling let's feverish. Let's ride on our local Los Angeles yeah. Metro. Yeah. Um, but no, so, so the idea was, but there's, I just, I was getting so beaten down emotionally by watching people do the exact same magic tricks over and over and over and over again. And these are professionals that are making a career. And I see how, you know, the, the dozens of people doing a color match, everybody does a color match. And, and, and unfortunately, as I say this, I have friends that do the color match and I say, I, I feel bad lumping them all together, but it's like, and then everybody puts on a new paint of coat. A coat of paint, uh, excuse me. Uh, that was um, they do a coat of paint, and they think they've changed it. You know, no, 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 you don't get it. I have a blow up doll, and the blow up doll's wearing the clothes. <laughs> no, no, no. I have thirty. I have a stack of them. They're all. They think I messed it up because I. They see I have a whole bunch of extras, but they all so, the same thing. Brief tangent for the non magic experts in the crowd: color match is a very common, or arguably almost hack effect, where someone colors in an image of a person, like color the trousers one color, shirt one color. And then you or something else is wearing those same colored clothes. It's amazing. Right. Looks like you I'm wearing it. the clothes. My assistant's wearing the clothes. You know, it just like yeah. people do this and then they build their, their show around it. And it's like, like, what have you added to this? And so it was just really, I was just kind of really getting beaten down by it. And, um, and I, and I saw so many people doing it that I got to the point where I went, is, do, do I have, do I have to do, do, do they have to win? Do I have to buy one of these? Do I have to do one of these things? Because it's visual and colorful and plays to a big crowd and it's got built-in comedy. Like, is that just the inevitable path? And 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 I, well, then I'm watching. Stay, I, I'll go on Netflix and I'll watch John Mulaney or Hannah Gadsby or someone like that, someone that I love and really, really respect. And mm-hmm. I'll go, wow, th- there's absolutely none of that. They had to second by second, word by mm-hmm. word, completely craft this. Knew exactly what that was. So the theory was, could you give somebody like Dave Tooney, a talented performer? Um, a thousand or two thousand dollars to buy all the high tech mentalism or bullshit or whatever you know shit that works mm. by itself. Um, give them a week's time, and could those a magician doing those tricks and an improviser doing those tricks stand on stage next to each other, and would the audience be able to tell the difference? And in mm. my heart, and I still actually, Chris and I have talked about this a lot. I for a long time I thought the answer was no. I don't think they would tell the difference. If I went on stage next to Dave Tooney and we both did a color match, could the audience tell that I was a magician of twelve years and he was a magician of a week? I don't know that they could because, um, and, and then I was just kind of getting. I was I was sort of finding my way in an industry that thought that was fine. And like, how do you you know, how do you do that? And and now interestingly enough. Now, this is sort of gets into Chris's experience. What we have found over the last year is that it's actually not quite as cut and dry as I once thought it might have been. Um, this is so two thoughts. A, this is fascinating. B, John, I respect you so damn much. <laughs> uh, thank you <laughs> for saying that. I hope I, I hope that was unrelated. I hope you're like, I just have been to tell John this for a while. Uh, <laughs> but but I just for years, and that's and that's part of the reason why I don't have more material than I do, is because there is a vast ocean of material that I'm unwilling to go near because I have no take on it. I, I have no, I love a Rubik's Cube match. I have no take on it. I have no yeah. take on it. I have no, you know, so many people do them and, and so many people do them wonderfully. I've got nothing. I've got no take, you know? 
I, yeah. I, 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 what am I going to do? Tell you that, that there's 43 quintillion ways you can solve it. And that when you mix it up, you know, it's going to be different than it ever had like more like this has never been recreated hey before. my yeah. big my big take on it was adding a straight jacket escape to it which so, is something I mean, nobody's really doing is. those two together <laughs> those two hacky things together <laughs> well john also rubik's cube is like uh, again sort of not of your time and yeah, the what are those is that like references... did you guys, is that a thing is that were those was that a toy no, but so because because John John likes to make references from a different era. John has a whole bunch of hoop and stick magic tricks. That yeah, yeah. John's doing I, a, I, John's I, doing my a, a, a Jack's routine. It's going to be a John's doing some lawn darts material. Yeah. It's, it's funny how like it's funny John brings that up because that was kind of, like that was one of the motivations that started this podcast of just kind of saying how how easy it is to kind of do hack material and right. not people not knowing. And then we made a lot of magicians sad. So we kind of, I, and I, I had, <laughs> I, I had to learn that, you know, you, that, that is an easy way to offend people. Um, because I don't think a lot of magicians realize that's, you know, where they're right. at or what they're doing, because it is a, it's a different, we are, we are a, a string off from being comedians, but at the same time we are light years away because, you're right. You can take a week and become a magician, you know, or at least on paper, become a magician and do a, a 20 minute magic show. So um, there and, are, and so I, you can't do that playing guitar or, you know, doing right. stand up comedy. You, right. Mean, and, and then my, what I, what I have noticed, and this I think is a, li- a bit more um, sort of a uh, harder to argue with than, than the idea of the Dave Tuney theory. Cause um, uh, the idea, uh, what I noticed is that the problem there is that then what you do is you attract a, when you when you have an industry or an, let's say an art form, when you have an art form that is um, built upon the idea that you can, it's built on, and, and I, I benefited from this. I, it's built on instant gratification, right? I didn't start with card college. I didn't start with hard shit. I read Card College Light, which was Roberto Joby's like spinoff of books that was all full mm-hmm. of self working card tricks. And I was a ninth grader, and I wanted to impress people, and I realized I could learn a new trick every single night, and I did. And then I became the magic kid. And then it was from there that it snowballed into going to magic stores, uh, stores joining the junior program. That's how I met Shudogawa and, and started taking lessons from him. And then gradually I found, you know, learned harder stuff. But I was attracted to it because I didn't have to practice, right? My, my parents were both musicians. And my whole life they tried to get me to play instruments. My, my, my mom played violin. I tried to take guitar lessons from my dad three or four times over my life. That never stuck because I was lazy. And this was a way for me to feel that experience of impressing something, someone with something that you can do that they can't um, that happened overnight. And I, I get it. I benefited from that. But the problem is when you have an art form built upon that is going to attract people that have absolutely no business standing in front of an audience, performing it and representing what that art form is. And that's what just, that's like this whole, that, that's what breaks my heart is, uh, you know, th- that becomes unfortunately in many aspects that sort of the, the peak of the bell curve, as far as what people associate magic with. Yeah. And I, I just love buying stuff from penguin. <laughs> <laughs> And you know that that and, sentence right there is exactly what it's all about. People just like getting stuff and you know right. purchasing which stuff, which is fine too. I was with cool to, gadgets um, and fun secrets yeah. to discover. I mean, that's part of that. I mean, th- I, I would say that's eighty percent of it. People just wanting to know how stuff works. Uh, and you know, anybody who knows me knows that uh, there's nothing I hate more than plugging another podcast on an episode of a podcast. But <laughs> um, uh, but I will say, uh, yesterday, I don't know if any of you watched Harrison Greenbaum's interview with Matt King. I caught no. a few minutes of it. It was pretty good. Uh, I mean, I believe it's uploaded on Facebook. I believe it's a, it's a recurring show he's going to do called Who Books That with Harrison Greenbaum. 
uh, which is a terrific title. Love he's it. A, he's a Sounds wonderful, great. wonderful performer. And we he had speaks him on, to a lot of these things as well. We had him on this. Uh, if you haven't listened to it, go back to our Two Magicians episode with him. It was actually just me. Simon wasn't part of that one. And uh, and um, we also had him on our podcast. Oh, so you could. compare them. Drop us a line in the comments. So we, better. So, so I commented on his thing. I go, oh, that's great. Sure, I'll be a guest. And he didn't respond. <laughs> so I think you guys should do the same exact thing. So we can um, be, be just going to force him into it. <laughs> Um, but they, they, he did say something in that interview that I do have to remind myself to that is true. And that was a, uh, uh, he asked Mac if there was one thing you could change about magic, what would it be? And he ultimately didn't answer the question. And what he said was, I think about an old Eugene Berger quote who said that there are many rooms in the house of magic. And you can have people that want to just learn. You can want people that just, you know, like you, you, all these people can find their own sort of different avenues on what they find interesting. You know, people will just buy stuff off Penguin and all, all these things. And he goes, like, I just be, like, I just thought it was better just to worry about myself and, and not try to mm. criticize what, you know, Magic is doing. And I think there's some truth to that. I don't, maybe I'm yeah. just a wear, wear shoes rather than carpet the earth. Right. Um, Jack Goldfinger. Uh, well, and, I mean, predates him. It's a Zen, it's a Zen parable thing, as far as I know, that goes back thousands of years. Right. Jack Goldfinger. Yeah, <laughs> he's immortal. Right. <laughs> I, if anyone were actually like the wandering immortal, I would believe it would be Jack Goldman. Yeah, there's a character, director of the Magic Castle. There's a character on Thirty Rock, Kenneth, and as oh, you yeah. see throughout the series, he is immortal. And there are just there's, someone put a whole YouTube compilation. My favorite is, uh, "No, I'm not done with him, Jacob." <laughs> <laughs> I've had more time. I need uh, more time. Um, Jack McRae or somebody who I did magic for at Chris Grace's wedding. Yep, that's right. Uh, are you guys buddies? You friends? Yeah, we're we're friendly with each other. I know him a little bit. I um, did magic for him and Paula Tompkins at the same time, and I got yep. a great photo out of it. <laughs> My nerdy little uh, self was very very happy. Yeah, so um, John pretended like he didn't know who Paula Tompkins was. <laughs> and what's your name, so I could write it on this card? <laughs> I did a trick where I'd already written down his name on something because he's uh-huh. right now he's big. He was he was big doing BoJack, which is an animated show. So it's reasonable yeah. I wouldn't know his face to his name, even though I was I've been a huge fan of his for almost a decade because I was a stand going back to like funny. a Comedy Central Presents special. So I, as I'm doing a trick where um, I, his name will appear on something, and the, right at the end, before his name shows up, I'm now asking his name for the first time. I'm feeling so clever. I go, "Sir, what was your name?" Um, and then Jack McBrayer goes, uh, "He goes, uh, he plays along. He goes, uh, my name's Paul." And Jack McBrayer goes. Like you didn't know that, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, uh, sick bird." What is the name of that trick, John? That is "Identity" by Richard Sanders. Ah, um, Chris, can you ask the next time you you speak with Mr. McBrayer? Apparently, there was uh, I think it was the Genie Convention in Orlando a couple of years ago. Um, he was there just like randomly at the hotel. I think it was that convention. <laughs> uh-huh. And then one magician saw him. And then within minutes, there was a line of magicians wanting to show him tricks. And he, because being Jack McBrayer is the nicest man in the world, st- stood there and watched all these desperate magicians doing magic tricks. I would oh, really like funny. to know if that's a true story because I was told it by someone else. I didn't witness it. I was living in Florida at the time. But uh, funny. Um, yeah, that just it sounds very much like him. I will yeah. text him right now and see if we get a response. Yeah, live it's response. Such, live it's response. such a time join Zoom. It's such a real sure thing, isn't it? The whole bullshit, like wanting to perform for a celebrity so that you have the bragging rights of having performed for that celebrity. Right. Ugh. Yeah. I can. I, he, as you said that sentence, I'm like, oh, Simon fucking hates this. Like, yeah. 
As the yeah, I story. Yet, yet at the same time, I understand it. It's a tough industry. It's a tough career. Any lib, even one iota of a bragging right you can get is sometimes right. useful in your marketing. I am as so. Nick telling that, yeah, <clears throat> I'm Nick so, telling that story. I could hear your butt clenching up. <laughs> I could too. Uh, I yeah, I'm so turned off when I if I get friended by you know somebody in entertainment and all they do is have photos of them with celebrities or it's like all yeah. over their websites. <laughs> like, oh my god. It's like you don't these or people like, don't like, remember them, who you are. <laughs> close the loop on, on what I was saying earlier. But yeah, I, I just like I was um and it was funny, anytime if somebody asks me how much parlor material I have or stage material I have, my answer has been, look, I could have a bad hour tomorrow. Which <laughs> 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 is true. It's so um, true. But oh, but something you guys said last week, there was something uh, uh I think Simon, you said it. I have a very mm. similar answer that kind of speaks to a very similar thing, but it's a little bit different. You were mm. talking to Ben about um like if the oh, it might have been one of you said it. It was uh, uh if the audience wasn't there, would the show be the same? Yeah, uh, I, I, I said yeah. that and then I um Armstrong said that about another performer who will remain okay. nameless. <laughs> I, I have a slightly different answer that I think speaks to a very, very similar thing, and that is I get, you know, you can't have material that no one has ever seen. You can't have an entire show full of material that no one's ever seen before. Um, part of me does subscribe to that whole, like, there's only eight tricks in all of magic. I, I, I kind of see where that is, you know, um, where that's coming from. Um, to me, it is how much of this show you make or how much of that you make uh, very, very specific to who you are as a performer. I don't have a huge character. I don't have a lot of gimmicks, really. But I definitely, there's certain, a sense of humor that I think I bring and there are certain effects that I think are very, very me. And so what, my, my sort of threshold is um, if you were to pluck out that performer and put in somebody different doing the exact same material, would it be the same show? Because um, I think you see, so, especially when I get coming from the junior program, you see a lot of people who graduate from the junior program that um, unfortunately kind of fall into that trap where it's like, oh, if I just pluck you out and put in a different person, it's be exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Be the same jokes, it'd be the same everything. Uh, um, and, and that is what kills me. And I think you see a lot of that. And that is to me why, why I, you know, God love Mad King, but no, if I could change one thing about magic and it's fucking stock lines, why do those exist? How, why do we think that's okay? I don't I mean, know. Is that I, rhetorical? Because you know, there's <laughs> answers, but they're, they're not compelling, satisfying I remember answers, once I, I had this joke. It wasn't even that funny of a joke. It got a laugh 50%, 60% of the time. And it was just like, I couldn't think of anything funnier and it wasn't a 0% joke. And yeah. it was, I would do this, I would do this joke where um, anytime I would introduce myself to somebody in the audience, I would, I would do some bit about like, oh, great, we're friends now. What's your name? Brian. Hooray, we're friends now. And then I'd do it two or three times. And then like, you know, by the third and fourth time, there was sort of like changes to the joke. Uh, you know, two friends, I can start a Facebook account. Three friends, this. And, you know, four friends, mm-hmm. I'm out of bits. Uh, sorry, I don't <laughs> have anything for you. Do stuff like that. Yeah, and so, but hooray, we're friends. A lot of people thought it was like my trademark. I'm like, well, I don't want that to be my trademark, <laughs> and I didn't think it was that funny, so I kind of stopped doing it. Uh, someone's like, the finale of your show should be this, 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 and then a big banner that says, "Hooray, we're all friends." And I was like, fuck that. Um, I think that's great. <laughs> but I remember an older woman yeah. uh, uh, walked up to me after the show. I, I don't know if she if she was like a hobbyist of some kind. I guess she might have been a member. This was like at a brunch show at the castle, and she goes, "Oh, that hooray, we're friends joke. Uh, um, uh, it was really funny. I- I'm going to use that." Um, and I was like 19 or 20, so I didn't have the wherewithal to go, please do not do that. Yeah. Um, you're hurting both of us by doing that. Because um, you were you were like, please don't use that. That's my thing. I'm the hooray for friends. I'm the hooray. Yeah. Hooray, <laughs> we're friends my pin. guy. I'm the, it says hooray, we're friends. I'm the hooray, we're friends guy. I mean, you can do a great variation now that's like, it's eight people, it's nine, ten people, we can't be assembled together. Yeah. Oh, that's. 
Mm. I think you, I think you should pick this back up as branding. Right. That is something. That is another thing. That is maybe one of the the most important lessons I learned from Shudogawa in all my years, sort of learning with him, um, is just the the picking up the the want to like when a lot of people are doing something, take that thing, understand it, learn about it, but then put it in a drawer and close that drawer and come back to it in five years when not everybody's doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. So like when you, one of my favorite magic acts of all time is Jan Frisch, uh, his Fizzam act. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. I think it's perfect. I wouldn't change a single thing about it. And he, and then when I was, I was talking to you about how much I loved it and I was doing magic that heavily involved the use of the same method that he was using. I was lapping everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes, you're just doing Jan Frisch as you. Uh, and he goes, what you need to do is like, it's good that you're learning this. You need to put lap, you need to put dropping things in your lap into a drawer. You need to close that drawer and not come back to it. And that was great mm-hmm. advice. So I think for me, that's going to be the same with coronavirus jokes. It's like, great. Yeah, <laughs> everyone in the sun is gonna have one. Oh, some yeah. will be hilarious. Some will be the stupidest fucking thing. That's awesome. There, you know, like I, I don't need to, like I don't need to get involved with that because there's so many people do. I, I, Harrison Greenbaum he, to bring him back up again. This was uh, before it became what it is now, which was like 10, 11 days ago, which is crazy to think. But mm. um, you know, even two weeks ago, but he posted something on Facebook that said, uh, "I'm excited to see all of the comedians in New York using this line to hecklers." Like, oh. You know, two uh, a million people died of coronavirus, and this guy survived. Like he's like, I can't wait to hear everybody say that. Everybody. Well, that's something that a rule of thumb I've slowly evolved for myself, at least, is just if in doubt, subvert things. Right. You don't always have to. It's not always the right choice to subvert, but it's usually a good rule of thumb if you don't really know. Because right now, say you were to go out and do a show, once we can actually do live shows again, just by actively avoiding any coronavirus references that show would feel fresh and original right now. Right, absolutely. And will probably for the rest of the year, just by not even addressing it, you're not addressing it, just by not addressing it at all and right. just do a damn show, that's already fresh and different because it's going to be different to whatever else is the most obvious basic approach. Right. I was doing booby trap. I mean, like literally the day before everything in LA shut down um, and uh, Mark Fight was hosting and he's hilarious and a brilliant comedian uh, filling in for Scott Neary, but there was a line he said which was so funny, but it just made everybody in the room uncomfortable. He goes, "Don't worry, we've canceled a bunch of acts. The Wuhan marching band will not be in the show tonight." <laughs> and I right. thought it was brilliant, but you could just feel the that wave of uncomfortableness go through the audience, going, "Oh, yep, this is real. We're all dealing with this right now. That's just we we came here to escape, and you reminded us of this now." So right. Look, sometimes um, sometimes great art makes you uncomfortable. Not always. <laughs> so does so does a lot of shit art as well. That's but. the thing. I I don't subscribe to that. I think maybe uh, I don't know. Art is not It's all how you perceive it. But it is. Not I don't. True. That's not what I'm I striving was, to do. Is make people uncomfortable. I was. Yeah. Um. I was influenced by something that occurred to me last last year. I had the luxury of living in Sydney for a month. Um, and. I saw a show at the Sydney opera house that I did not enjoy. And uh, I was sort of like reading about like, why did I not enjoy this? And I found this quote that really influenced me, which was that art, it might've been about satire, but I think it was about art, but that it should um, afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. Um, (laughs) And the show that I saw was more about comforting the comfortable. (laughs) Which is what I yeah. like about it. Um, very, yeah. very, eat, very eat, pray, love. Comfort the comfortable. Mm. Yeah. And by the way, I'm wearing a, in tribute to Simon, I'm wearing a shirt from a company called R.M. Williams. 
Hey, shout out to Down Under. As is Simon a, is an Australian, he does have stock in that company. So that's good, uh, <laughs> good on you, as they would say. And I was going to ask you guys, from a magician's point of view, what do you think are some things that are in that metaphorical drawer that might, you know, something from that was hot five or six years ago that you might want to investigate mm, now? Interesting question. Well, I, I got a solid Macarena bit. So. Sorry? <laughs> I got a solid five minutes on the Macarena. It's coming oh, back. Good, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I had one the other day. What? The, uh, okay, I have a breaking news update. What is it? Oh, shit. Oh, I have a text from Jack McBrayer. Okay. I'm excited. <laughs> it said it says, I think it was Daytona Beach, but Daytona. yes. Yes, it was Daytona Beach. They were all lovely individuals and they were all incredibly all caps impressive. <laughs> oh that <Aww>. he even <laughs> that's oh my that's he the is most so rare. Oh my goodness. Thing I've ever heard. He is proving oh, even more so that he's the nice. He can't even make fun of magicians when we gave him yeah. an op- opportunity to make fun of magicians. <laughs> That's right. That's so great. <laughs> I will tell my oh, friend I, who who told me that who I think started up the uh, the line of magicians. <laughs> I mean, I would. You know what I would love as a, as a magicians podcast is just a podcast that investigates rumors and gossip and confirms. Oh whether or not yeah, tr- <laughs> that would be, be cool. Because that is one thing that, as someone who is is this is not my profession, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of rumor and gossip and and jealousy and envy in comedy for sure. But I would say that like it's it's at a different level with magic. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, uh, magic I, enjoy, is, I love it all. Magic for better and worse, and it's a lot of both. Has this veil of secrecy to it, both in the methodology, but then sort of the cult, consequently the culture as well. So it's a lot more, it's much less televised, it's less broadcast. And so, yeah, there's a lot more of these kind of secret rumors of like, I heard this guy did this thing one time. It did that. I I do have a story like that, and I don't know where I heard it from. Um, And actually, I was thinking, oh, that's maybe a fun story to talk about, especially, oh, Chris, as we talk uh, about that Magic Castle video um, that that we're going to review on an upcoming episode of the podcast. I heard a story about Lance Burton um, that Mm. I think is fucking awesome. and it was when he competed at FISM in, I think, was it the late 80s? Uh, does that sound right? Like an 88, that maybe? Sounds faintly right, yeah. Doesn't matter. Anyway, so he does this, you know, he, he kind of became famous for doing, like, um, a candle actually, and bird actually, act. Pause, pause for a second. Is anyone else getting mic popping, I think, on John's mic? A tiny bit. I am not. Yeah. Okay. I, all right. I am not. Are you in good? that case, yeah. I'm pro- as long as Nick's good, that's I, all that matters. It, it, it was coming popping. a little bit, but that was the first time I've gotten it through john's mic so yeah no okay. oh, just just then like a minute ago it started for me by the way jack also just texted that would have been november 2014 <laughs> yep that's exactly the correct timeline that's when wow. i was still living that's there hilarious. that's amazing okay so sorry to interrupt john pick up where no problem. You feel I mean, yeah, just let me know the, the audio uh <clears throat> becomes a problem again um it was the it was that he was performing at fism and he, and he did this for anyone that doesn't know lance burton's fism act which if you're listening to this i'd be shocked uh and it was he's doing this candle act, and at one point he has he does his appearing candle, and then he lights it, um, and then he has this sort of cool like you know uh, he like holds the three of them in his hand in this very cool graceful pose, and it's just so Lance Burton, and it's so good. Anyway, the story I heard is that he's at FISM doing it, like you get one shot to perform your act, um, and the candle he lets he opens up the, the uh, candle, the candle unfolds, it, it pops open, and as it does that, it just happens to be in the perfect position where it appears and the wick hits the flame of another candle. So it appears lit. 
so he, he makes a lit candle appear, which is impossible. And the entire audience goes wild. And the story I heard that that moment in his head, he kind of broke out of character for one second. And in his mind, he just went, I just fucking won this thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then he did. Uh, and I hope that's true because God bless him. I mean, I would have thought the same thing if I were him. That's amazing. But I think that is such a cool story for such like a cool act uh, that holds up. That's a great act. Yeah. It is amazing when the universe just gives you those random unexpected gifts in performances um, sometimes. Before we were getting to that, though, before we, uh, we got that special uh, guest uh, interruption, um, uh, I, I'm curious to hear what you guys would say about the whole things that are in a drawer that you kind of go back to now, as I still think about what mine was. I, I, I had one, and I can't remember what it was. Yeah. That's a, it's, I'm still chewing on that, because the thing it immediately makes me think of is that one of the fascinating things about magic that is so invisible to people outside of it is the crazes and trends that you get. For example, I mean, John and Nick, you guys would know, and Chris, you might, uh, that was probably about like 12, 15 years ago, there was just the craze of uh, what of build changes, 5500, slow burn, extreme yeah. burn, flash cash. There were just everywhere. There were about easily a dozen over the space of three years came out. These now, like changing just, four bills into four other bills. 12 years ago, I started doing magic in summer of 2008. I would, in my experience, I would say that is still the case but i'm surprised to hear that it was even bigger than it is now oh yeah that was ago. when it really that was a, the really the first big surge in them where they went from basically there was patrick page's flash cash from the 70s or 60s or whenever it was and that had been it no sorry patrick page's easy money followed by fred caps's flash cash and that was it for decades and then it was i think it was richard sanders brought out slow burn and around the same time greg wilson brought out honey 500 and then everyone started bringing out more of them and it was just this absolute torrent of what a bill changes and it's and there have been many other trends like that magic you go through these weird crazes like right now we're in the middle of about a five six year rubik's cube craze like yeah. we're just watching that that's a torrential a tsunami like wave washing over magic right now right. and it's interesting that you get these trends ebb and flow and those are very much things Again, I'm doing a Rubik's Cube routine, and I it's I think it's time to put it in the drawer because still there's everyone's damn doing it, and I need to step away from it for a while. I put mine in the my Peller show recently, and I didn't want to because I'm like everybody's doing this, but I really needed to work on it, so I, I kept it in. But my intro into it was, uh, "This is a Rubik's Cube. Uh, I'm currently doing Rubik's Cube magic because nobody else is doing Rubik's Cube magic right now," and I would always get chuckles from the magician. So I, I tried to call but, it out a little bit, but I think it is. Oh, but, time. Here's, but here's the problem, right? It's only that's only getting chuckles from the magicians because right. most people in the public have not ever seen a magic trick with a Rubik's Cube ever in their lives. Exactly. Some have seen one online, but that's still a tiny minority. And I've tried that with crowds, going, "Okay, show of hands, who here has seen magic with a Rubik's Cube ever in their life before?" And it's always less than ten percent. Like right. at most, it's ten percent. Right. But still, nonetheless, and well, no, it, then it comes it down to you have to make the choice of okay, this is being overdone yeah. and overblown. But does it matter for the person who sees one magic show, maybe in yeah. their entire life? Absolutely, it's I, a really what, tough, interesting question. What is interesting about that to me, though, is that I'd be willing to bet um, that to those ten percent of audience members that have raised their hand mm. and say, "I have seen that." I bet you, I'd be willing to bet you 20 bucks that they probably saw the exact trick you're about to do. Yeah, absolutely. Matched, yeah. Well, it magically got solved because those are the yeah. two things you do with a Rubik's Cube, unless your name is Vincent Quo, in which case you can do any manner of things. <laughs> Shout out to we saw We saw um, people via Nueva do a cool Rubik's Cube thing in his oh, parlor show. That was very good. That was Where very he good. Like, made the little wormhole and he like dropped it through. 
Yeah, but at the end of the um, day, that was still Rubik's Cube was matched, and then Rubik's Cube became solved magically. It was incredible, yeah, yeah. and there were no gimmicks, and it was um, hard and impressive and amazing and, and, and quick and entertaining. But it was, you know, I, I do definitely, I, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I do subscribe to the theory that an audience leaving that and an audience leaving another Rubik's Cube magician show saw the same trick. He matched Rubik's yeah. Cube. Um, you know, that might be because of a limitation. Like the Rubik's Cube itself, you, all you can do is scramble it up yeah. or match it. Like you can't, like um, it'd be like if you had a, Quo. Well, it'd be like yeah. if you had a deck of cards and the only thing you could ever do with a deck of cards is like shuffle it or unshuffle it. <laughs> like, yeah, right. You'd be Basically limited it. by what yeah, you absolutely. do. Yeah, absolutely. But I do, I, I maybe, I mean, I think it might transition into, it, maybe it is just kind of another form of a card trick. I, I really like what Rob Zabrecki says. He, he told me once, He's like, I think you only get one pick a card trick in a stage show. Mm. And I have tried to adhere to that because I think it might be kind of, I mean, Rubik's, like you said, it it is two things you can do with it. But it, um, yeah, I think it is kind of just one of those uh, sections of type of trick that uh, will fit into that category, maybe. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I I would actually like to see more um, physical manipulations of like the cube itself, like break. It in. I like you know people like to do that thing where it breaks into like the mini M and M's, but I would love <laughs> to see more things. Sense, uh Well, it's a cool. It looks cool. It looks cool. I, I guess. Yeah. I, I'd like to see people just do other stuff with the the like. I kind of like that one that's uh in the glass bottle. Like it's in, impossibly in the glass bottle, and then your initials on the cube inside that. Like right. I, things I, that aren't yeah. the solving of it. I did that with my buddy mm-hmm. Scott Pepper it, when we were in the pillar in I think August, and yeah, that always got great reactions because all the magicians assumed it was going to match or something, and then it's not. The sign cube is now inside the bottle, so that is a right. different way of thinking with you know something that using a, a device everybody is currently using. I think a, a good thing to that's always worth reasserting and reminding. Every, ourselves and everyone of is that there are all of these theories have exceptions. There are always exce- there are always yeah. exceptions to all of these. There's never any sort of one sweeping thing. Well, that's one but of my. John, I was thinking. Sorry, sorry I'm going to yeah. cut you off real quick before I forget this. Yeah. Slide, but this applies to Chris. That was one of my favorite things. Advice given to me by an improv teacher. I don't know if you know Michael Philbrook back in Chicago, but Mm-mm. he's like, you know, it's a rule of improv until somebody breaks it, and then it's fine. So until it's yeah. used effectively, you can not yes right. and somebody in a moment for a particular reason. I mean, it's okay to break that rule occasionally. And it's going to what you're saying, Simon. Which is actually something, yeah. said, Chris, you said to me a couple of times as we were becoming friends, and I would see a lot more magic to do in Baby Wants Candy shows, is you kind of point out, like, oh, yeah, we break those rules all the time. Yeah. Um, but you're capable of doing that because you're right. so experienced. Yeah. Also, my the thing, the thing I try to tell people is – that I just want them to approach their work with intentionality. So yeah. if you're in an improv show and you decide I'm not going to yes and this, I'm going to, I'm going to do something horrible that teachers tell us not to do. I almost am okay with it. If after the show, you're like, well, I thought it would be funny if we did this and this is why I did it. Yeah. Um, as opposed to people just breaking the rules because they are panicking or they don't right. know any better. Yeah. Oh, they just think YOLO, break it. That's funny. Haha. Yeah. If they can defend their choice artistically afterwards, a lot of times I'm like, okay, I could see why. And maybe it didn't work, but I understand why you tried it. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. There's, there's, I think there's a real beauty in attempting a thing that you're not completely sure of, but you have a theory on this might be a good idea. It isn't, and it doesn't work. And you go, ah, okay. Yeah. I thought that would work. It didn't. 
learn from that, move on. That's a really important yeah. loop because that's how you get better at everything. You try things. A lot of well, the time they won't interestingly, work. one of the issues with the feedback loop in comedy is that you have to be honest about whether or not stuff is working. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and yeah. a lot of comedians will not, for example, listen back to a recording of their stand-up set or they won't acknowledge that something just isn't working. They just, in their head, they're like, they, and actually it's very easy to hear like four people in an audience laugh who are big laughers. And you're like, ah, oh, that one worked. Yeah. Um, and especially if you're only depending on your memory of the experience. Yeah. Mm, that's a very good point. Yeah. I've gone back I, and watched shows that I thought I destroyed and I look and go, oh, it was okay. And then there's other ones where I thought I was doing terribly and then it's it's fine. So it's just yeah. you really have to you can't always use your memory as a frame of reference. Yeah. I mean, I would say you can't really ever use your memory as a reliable frame of reference. Yeah. You need externals. I've actually been fascinated lately by hearing a lot of magicians. The, the most recent one was Danny DRT's in at in Ohio talking about that their main uh the th- main thing they're trying to architect is the person's memory of the event as opposed to mm. what they're actually seeing during the oh yeah um, absolutely and i feel like magicians probably think about that more than other art forms yeah mm-hmm. that would make sense yeah, yeah anytime somebody's yeah, a- describing a trick they've seen to me i go okay no go back and redescribe it again and then i and then they say how did he do it i go i don't know i had to be there because you've just described your memory of Oh, he didn't yeah. even touch the cards when in reality he probably did touch the cards. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I, I remember think... once a um, uh, somebody came, one of the magic, we've all had these experiences. Someone went to the magic mm. castle and, and I remember so clearly uh, that he goes, all right, so I signed the face of a playing card. Okay. <laughs> Puts it on the table. My daughter signs the back of a different playing card. <laughs> and I was like, right. And they fused it. And before I could say, it, he's like, so then what he does is he takes the two cards, shows them. <laughs> presses them together and already i'm like that that didn't happen <laughs> yeah exactly. it's like this he like mimes like him doing it with like like with yeah. two hands and i'm like yeah, that yeah. all right keep keep going but yeah i think one of the reasons you get that so much in magic is because even if rewind to when no one knew anything about magic and there were like two tricks go back hundreds of years whatever if you have no clue about this concept of sort of of inaccurate memory and how to plant seeds in it and distort it Everyone eventually has the experience where you do a trick and then you overhear someone describing what you did to someone else and they completely misdescribe it. <laughs> and even the dumbest, densest magician will go, huh, interesting. And notice that keeps happening and then start to think, well, it's happening. How's it happening? How can we alter this and influence this directly and actively? And then fast forward and yeah, here we are. It's a core tenet of the art form that, yeah, you are really sculpting their memory rather than their perception. I mean, you're sculpting both, but the memory will be a very different thing to the perception in real time. Yeah, and I feel like there's more um, thought put into sculpting their memory versus their actual in-the-moment present experience, like whether or not yeah. they're enjoying that or not. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's it's very much both. I mean, both are very important. But yeah. it's interesting, though, that a magic show, almost more than any other art form, it's true of everything to a degree, but there are two different magic shows, and one is the one they experience, the other is the one they remember. Yeah. And you are kind of sculpting both simultaneously. And they too uh, will be at least partially, sometimes extremely different. Right. And, and I guess you have to kind of make a judgment call on which one is more important to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is, again, another difficult and interesting question. Uh, right. We're at hour 10 here. Is there anything else you guys want to oh throw God. in so I can go make some veggie fajitas? Uh, oh, uh, uh, 
I, I was going to, sorry, I was going to mention the, that, uh, I think John, did you want to talk about the, the, about Taylor's show last night? Oh yes. Chris is telling me to compliment him. Uh, <laughs> it's also, of, it's also promotion for a trick I just released that's available yeah, oh, yeah, on my website for $12. Well, 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 one thing actually, before we get to that, and, and, and there's something I do seriously, um, just want to say anytime I get the chance is, uh, anybody listening to this, if you can afford it, um, try to support, uh, the magic apple. Uh, Brent Garris is delivering, uh, he'll send you deliveries, uh, but obviously it's going to be one of many businesses that are going to be hit pretty hard by this. And I consider the magic apple to be a pretty important pillar to the Los Angeles magic community. That is the only magic shop in the greater LA area. Um, uh, and so, uh, you know, everyone's suffering, but if you can buy something, uh, buy something online, I, I, I urge people to do that. I think, um, um, it's very important that we help, uh, support truly the one, you know, small magic business, mm-hmm. uh, uh, brick and mortar. I mean, and supporting, you know, other performers in in ways, you know, because a lot of us, you know, this bill's coming out where we can get supposedly unemployment, but that Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of us who are contractors, myself included, I, we can't get that because even though it says that on the paper, you still need to supply proof of all these contracts that have been canceled and all the stuff that I've has been canceled. I didn't have contracts for it. You know, it's just Mm. gigs I do regularly that are word of mouth. So I, there's no way for me to prove that, you know, all that money's gone. Sure. So I think that's going to be the case for a lot of people too. So if you can support people online in any way, shape, or form, you know, please do it. Uh, which leads me to the next thing: that last night, uh, Nick, you and Taylor hosted another episode of Live from the Shed. I believe it's called uh, Live from World Shed Quarters because we discovered some other man has a show called Live from the Shed. From the shed. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's going to be the next. That month, man was very- Unabomber. <laughs> he, he's he's still in there. Uh, the, the, la- the next month is going to be really competitive as people st- buy up nicknames for whatever clever quarantine uh, uh, um, thing they've got going on. Um, and so uh, uh, Chris was a guest on that, and Chris performed a f- an effect that you um, uh, uh, made available uh, for purchase. I believe it's only only twelve dollars. Wow, what a deal! Yeah, well, that is a great nickpaul.net. For a good visual piece of stand-up parlor magic, twelve dollars is a terrific deal. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna have you contact the the Spanish magician that wanted a refund. So, <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm enjoying hearing John recommend. Yeah, buy this trick. Put it straight in your act. So. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's true. But I didn't. I didn't. I put a twist on it. I know his, uh, that's what it made me. So it was the first time I I don't put stuff out and it was the first thing I ever put out uh, because I, I mean, it's similar to other things out there, but it was still my own handling and creation of this silhouette production. Um, regardless of, you know, what this lovely Spanish magician told me in an email. Um, but I, 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 magician Juan Temery, this is crap. I know more than you do. No, Chris said it, it was so only, cool. This is only want it if it's Charlie Miller. <laughs> exactly. No, it was so cool and gratifying that Chris had this idea. He's like, hey, let's do your trick, but I have a different spin on it. And that was really right. neat. To, to I've never Chris's, experienced that before. That is Chris's bread and butter is taking wholesome magic ideas and making them kind of fucked up. Yeah. So, Chris, you <laughs> can explain his, it if you want. That is really his... Uh, yeah, so the that's effect, great because I I did not see this. I'm I have no idea. Please tell me. So the effect is that um you uh and Nick has it set up sort of two different ways in his instructional thing. One is sort of more as a mentalism piece, and one is more I think sort of just as a like demonstration. Like here's inspiration. Let's get a name. Here's our inspiration yeah. for it. So um 
the spectator selects a first name from a bunch of cards that have first names on them. And you're like, these could all correspond with celebrities that, you know, like Julia Roberts or Betty White or whatever. And then they land on a specific one. You cut up the thing. And then it's uh, in Nick's uh, demonstration. You have cut up a, like a paper cut of Charlie Chaplin, which mm. matches what the person is selected. Okay. So I did it last night. Uh, and then I had Taylor say, like, Charlie, what kind of what celebrity do you think goes with the name Charlie? He's like, Chaplin. I was like, got it. And my paper cut was of Charles Manson. <laughs> and then I just insisted that that was Charles Charlie Chaplin. Right. Was well, what's so funny, funny about this is during these quarantine things, um, uh, Chris has been doing a very good job at fooling me. Um, <laughs> last week, Chris put up an apology on Instagram, which you should all go watch. And the acting on it is so good that I believed it was real. And I was like, oh, no, Chris, what, what did they find? Um, <laughs> Uh, what happened? And that, and it, it it really got me. And then last night too, as you're setting this up, you're talking about how the name of the trick is Charlie. And I'm like, I'm sorry. How are all of you fucking idiots? You're not supposed to say what the name is. You ruin the end of the trick. And I'm like, I mean, I guess if you want to just if you wanted to say what's going to happen or do it, fine. Plug Nick's trick, I guess. And then it totally got me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was funny. Uh, it was a really fun twist. And so it was a, it was a very uh, very very good job. They, yeah, I mean, also, yeah, Simon, really I know you were just fucking with me, but um, I also know I never said you should put it in your act. I said you can buy it and learn it. <laughs> you can buy it and learn it and maybe never use it. But um, but that is something I, uh, I I don't know why I keep talking. I'm not that obsessed with it. I just it's the only thing I have near me these days. And I just read cover to cover Morgan and West's new book. Um, oh, yeah. Which I think is a wonderful new book. I, I really, really like it. And what's great about it is, is I think some of the smartest magic that people are selling right now is magic that is very good and, and, and can teach you a lot, but you can't really do. Um, mm. There's brilliant routines in the book and brilliant ideas, but it's all very, 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 very carefully choreographed and built around two people and what that means. So 90% of magicians can't really do it. Yeah. But what you get is you get a very, very, very valuable sort of idea on like a tutorial and building blocks on how to make a show and why things are the way they are, which is arguably more valuable. Mm. Um, oh, so yeah. I think you do the same thing with this. It's like there's... There's, I'm sure, good things to be. There's many good things to be learned from uh, Nick's routine. You don't have to necessarily copy completely. Um, oh, yeah, and uh, you, there's no. some crediting that it's it's also inspired by some other things. Yeah, I, I got yeah. permission from you know the people that it was inspired by, but I I think it's we're going to see right now uh, just a renaissance finally of magicians not bringing people up on stage, and it's something like me, right. Simon, and uh, Armstrong have been harping for a year just because we're doing ships and we don't have the luxury of bringing up a lot of people on stage because they're all really old. But now um, we can finally make ma- – I hopefully we'll start seeing more and more magic shows that are like stand-up shows where maybe you get one or two people up on stage throughout right. the whole 60 minutes as opposed to, all right, now you come up. All right, now you come up. And it's you know, it's exhausting. When I last year was putting together my Edinburgh Fringe show, um, that was something – that was I had never really done an hour of parlor <laughs> This is a concern for a different reason. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, Which was how many people are actually going to be right? It was like because at Edinburgh Fringe, you you know, when you tell someone you're going for the first time, everybody says the exact same thing to you. They go, "Okay, just know you are going to do a show for three people. You just are." Um, I don't think we ever dipped below eleven, so I was very very happy with our numbers. But uh, I was realizing that I all the material I had that I was converting to stand up card stuff and mentalism and shit. We also like had people on the sides. It was audience on three sides, so there's a lot of limitations there. And I was really struggling. I'm like, there are, there's a scenario where on a small crowd, I have to use every single person in the audience, which mm. sounds horrendous. 
Um, and, and so, yeah, and that, that was, uh, that was something that really revealed sort of like a blind spot in, in my material that I created was that it relied so heavily on, um, mm. one of my favorite routines I'm doing now is a cut and restored silk that I'm really happy with. The routine is, the trick itself is pretty good, but it's like, it, it's visual and it's doesn't require any audience members. And it's very, very me and my personality and my point of view. And, and it's, it's me complaining about magic for two and a half minutes. No, that, that I, I meant you. to compliment it's you. Extremely that, you. That monologue was wonderful. Um, yeah, it's Sorry? the model. That whole routine was. Oh, you know, yes, wonderful. Yes, you have, I you saw you when you, you when Taylor that. filled in for Robert yeah. a couple weeks ago. But um, yeah, it was very. <laughs> I felt like I was watching a, a tiny version of Pendulette. <laughs> right, and, and, and that was heavily inspired by their. Uh, I, I would say they're probably my biggest inspirations in magic and in mm-hmm. art in general. Um, because uh, I think they were the people I just devoured all their YouTube videos, anything I could find when I was, you know, 15 years old. And I, I'd say yeah. still there, nobody influences me and my, my personality more than, than they do. Uh, and if people want to watch that, um, my, my recent Peller show, Robert Ramirez, is up on YouTube um, publicly. I just, you know, as people are kind of putting out their stuff for people to enjoy, if you want to go watch that, uh, we work really hard on it. We're pretty proud of a weird, silly show we put together and go check that out. That's cool. Yeah. Um, well, thanks, guys, for, for doing this crossover episode. Uh, I, I know you guys were super busy uh, today. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm like, what time do you guys want to do? Noon? Okay, okay. Simon, four minutes later. Okay. <laughs> we have nothing else going on. But, Usually, that's, yeah. it's like a week to plan one of these things. So. Right. And our justification, even uh, you said Thursday or Friday. And you said, John, for you and Chris, which day is better, Thursday or Friday? And I text Chris, and I go, do you care Thursday or Friday? And he goes, nope. And I said, nope. <laughs> And then I believe, uh, Nick, your exact words were, let's do Thursday. We could all be dead by Friday. <laughs> Comedy. So, <laughs> um, well, yes, this yeah. has been fun. Thanks, guys. And um, that's it. This yeah, is for having damn us. pleasure. Or, or thanks for having You're us. welcome for us having you. I really don't know. I don't know. <laughs> let's, let's do this again three times next week. We, can, we totally yeah, sure. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.